I'm here with Father John Burns. From the, he's, a, he's a priest from the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And he's working on his doctorate on uh, forgiveness and healing, the connection between the two. And you're studying at uh, Santa Croce in Rome, Holy Cross of how's it, University? That's right, yeah. The, it's the Pontifical University of the Holy Cross, which is Santa Croce. It's run yeah. by the Opus Dei. Yeah. has a great reputation in moral theology and other disciplines. So I just want to jump right to something quick. Yeah, let's I get, jump in. <laughs> I get asked this question. <laughs> I get this question, what is forgiveness? That's good. And you're, you're asking doctoral students, so you're not going to get like a clean, quick answer. I mean, I think the easiest way to summarize it is it's letting go of a debt. Because, you know, someone's hurt us. When, when we're injured, they've done an injustice against us. And justice calls for retribution or, or restoration uh, to restore things to the way they were or to not exact a punishment upon the one who's hurt us. And so it's letting go of a debt. Uh, forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our debts as we forgive right. those who right. trespass against us. There's a lot of other ways to put it, though. You get into emotional theory or the passions and Aquinas. And you can talk about mercy theologically and go mm -hmm. much deeper. But that's the quickest way. Is it's the choice to, to let go of emotionally complicated way and offer instead a gift. Our faith is like Mary's response, let it be done to me. It's that, it's that thing of surrender and just letting God work, yeah. removing the obstacles. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, because yeah, like even in the case of an injustice, like working to vengeance, it's not, um, it's not sinful initially. Vengeance is restoring justice. Mm. Um, but that's a lot of work. It's, it's yeah. complicated. It's hard to figure yeah. out what exactly someone did wrong and where to right the wrong. Um, and the way of mercy is to say, look, there's justice here, and we don't right. skip on justice, right. but rather we allow, um, in, in particular in faith, we allow grace to lift us up into the divine perspective, which says things. So it's an allowance, yeah. to your point, uh, an allowance to help us act like he does, which is not to exact justice, but to surpass it. Yeah, I remember John Paul and his encyclical, right, on, was it on mercy, where he talks Divas about... Divas and misericordia. Yeah, he talks about the relation with justice, that it doesn't... Mercy doesn't cancel out or deny justice, but yeah, fulfills it. I mean, I think of it like well, Jesus restore everything. Yeah. And uh, so we never you know, are denying something. And, and I tell, and I guess I was interested to talk to you because we get this question all the time in confession. And you know, you tell people, yeah, you have a right to, you know, if you have to get money back out of somebody, or you know, you can. You can go after things in that sense. Yeah. But we can't be <coughs> yeah, I mean, the whole, <clears throat> the whole framework of, uh, of the new covenant is, a, is an upending of what we thought, you know, ought to be done uh, and a, move <clears throat> a movement toward, uh, yeah, toward great patience, even to the, to the way you put it before, to surpass the obligations of justice, not to skip them. Justice remains a, the key virtue for, you know, regulating our interpersonal relationships and, and how God relates to us. But yeah. there's something more. Right. Uh, and that's, there's something beautiful about that, too. Yeah. Because justice is helpful. We need it. It's essential. Yeah. It's also something more um, that we're calling to at times, especially in the case of an interpersonal injury. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> and I find, too, I don't know, the older I get, for whatever reason, hopefully maybe yeah. my faith, but I always find in movies that is so moving when you see some forgiveness. Vengeance, and it's this violent thing, and they did something terrible to you, to your loved ones, so you you can now just tear them to pieces, you know? Right. <laughs> and, 
And at its best, it's put in the context of maybe a further self-defense. But I, I saw one recently that was just like cold justice, I mean, cold vengeance. Yeah. And it just, no I just thought to myself, yeah. this has no, this is lifeless. It has no, you know, mercy defeats evil. I heard John Paul II say that so many times. That yeah. That's the way it's defeated in this world. And, and especially, I mean, the key is always to be rational about all of this, to not let the passions overtake us. In the case of, of vengeance, um, <clears throat> when we think through, you know, acting in cold blood is always, you know, problematic, and that person sets out to exact justice, though to be, you know, vindictive and uh, inflict equal harm upon them. Right. That's the idea in their mind as they set out to, to be vengeful, but... Um, whatever the there is no real one-to-one -one. like when you've lost your family members for example yeah. you've been hurt there's really abolishes the pain you carry from the original harm and so it ends up being vengeance when it's vicious ends up being this vicious cycle yeah. that can't it never brings any wholeness or healing or there's never any peace you know once right. once the the vengeance is inflicted there's still a deep sadness there's an absence there's an, an injury a wound yeah. And if we're not reasonable about that, we act on our passions and we lash out and we do harm thinking it'll bring us peace. And it's just in our common We're telling a friend, and, and I, this is my advice. I don't know if it's right, but I, sometimes I think there is, there is legitimate, like I think, to maybe to unburden ourselves or to work through something or we're trying to process this or we're really hurting. You know, but we can cross a line of, I'm getting my pound of flesh by just excoriating this guy. <laughs> and you walk away with no, no, the person, if it's helping you work to some solution, if it's just like spinning and playing the tape over yep. and living in the resentment, you're just destroying yourself. And that's the key word is resentment. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, initially, <clears throat> so here's the way it inflicts an injustice upon us. Love has been withdrawn. Or, or, you know, pain has been inflicted, so we're sorrowful initially. Yeah. And then there's a hope and a desire of righting the situation, which leads to um, vindicatio, which is vengeance, which can be virtuous for him. But it becomes most often vicious. That's a good thing initially. Um, we should have a healthy response to being hurt that says, no, I deserve better than that because I'm a child of God. I'm hurt. Yeah. So anger starts out as a positive force but it very rarely stays positive, you know? Right. And as soon as it sits too long, as soon as time passes or the injury gets worse, it mm -hmm. spins into resentment and that mm -hmm. gets infected and that becomes, uh, it becomes obsessive. As you say, you start revisiting or replaying yeah. the injury over yeah. and over again and all of yeah. a sudden it's become the psychology showing us now. Yeah. We will keep in that right. loop. We'll just keep replaying this stuff and we'll uh, continuously obsess. Uh, and where theology has something to offer is that um, forgiveness is actually like pulling the cork out of the, the bottom and it kind of drains out this this like residual resentment yeah. that's becoming poisonous right. what they're trying to do. You know, the passions are pulsating out, we're trying to right this wrong. We say, no, we're done with that. Uh, we're going to re-envision this other person as a child of God themselves and we're going to offer of charity and in the form of mercy, which is forgiveness. And that causes like a draining out of this infection. So we're not stuck in this hyperloop of the passions. Right. Right. Yeah, it's wild. It's just wild. I mean, it, for over 30 years now, almost 40, there's been a lot of research by a number of uh, pretty prominent, uh, in America, pretty prominent psychologists, secular psychologists who are setting up their, <clears throat> basically their labs and, and doing research on um, what is forgiveness and how do we lead people through a process 
there's, it's become very clear that forgiveness is not just saying I'm sorry, which we know, mm -hmm. and our people in, in the confessionals are saying yeah. like, why am I still angry? Right. Why am I still holding on to this? Right. It's way more complicated than that. And what psychology's done is kind of probe into that outside of the framework of grace and revelation. But it's discerned, like, you know, there are these developmental phases that we see people go through in life in general, let's say, of a psychologist, move toward letting go of that anger. And it, what's interesting, especially, is that there's a direct relationship. Like a, a Robert Enright is the, the psychologist I'm working on, and his, right away at the beginning of his first book, he says that the first step to forgiving is recognizing and acknowledging that you're angry. And, and just to always correlate those two and say, like, where there's anger, that's, that's kind of sitting around. There's a need what it looks like to, to walk toward that. But grace and theology have a lot to say because you can't do, psychology is the handmaid of theology. It has yeah. to be at the service yeah. of, of our flourishing as a total person, not just as thinking beings. Do you remember some of the other things maybe the psych, like Enright would say? Yeah, Enright. so he lays out four stages to the process. And the first stage, and there's 20 steps within these. Um, and he just says you have to really uh, look at your life and recognize that there's more anger than you thought or that it's kind of sitting deeper than you are maybe willing to admit because right. we cope, you know, we, yeah. we don't like being angry. We know it causes us to lash out in the grocery, grocery right. store right. Right. line with your checkout person yeah. in front of you and you start yelling, uh, screaming tantrum uh, or road rage. Maybe he's not actually just mad about the car in front of him. Maybe it's because his daughter died right. and someone else caused it and she's in, he's in great pain because of that loss. And, yeah. uh, so he draws together this connectedness you know, of our emotional states. Yeah. So we have to really look at that and say, um, honestly, like, where am I hurting? How yeah. deep is the hurt? Is it connected to other stuff? Am I trying to hide it? Am I trying yeah. to avoid it? Not okay. And that's, that's good that I know that because yeah. I want to move toward being okay. Where am I hurting? What did it come from? How was it caused, and how has that injury like led to a change in my life? Am mm -hmm. I rehearsing the injury over and over again? Mm -hmm. Am I sick? Sometimes uh, there's finding like heart problems, uh, massive anxiety disorders. Don't know what to do about what's been done to us, and we get sick physically, even not just psychologically. So there's a whole process to acknowledging the anger and uncovering it, and just admitting it's time to, to take the lid off and look deep down and right. say, where is their pain? Yeah. Then there's the next step is choosing to forgive isn't working i'm still mad i'm still hurt and it's affecting the way i live then there's working on forgiveness the third step and then discovering the freedom of forgiveness so the third step is um, really where there's a lot theology has to say because it's envisioning the person who hurts you as another person who's hurt not just as someone who meant this great harm if they were perfect they wouldn't have lashed out they wouldn't have done that to you so it's actually taken yeah yeah as they say right it's true huh and that's the, that's the divine perspective, is to, to try and see how everybody looks from God's perspective. And it's a, it's a sadness yeah. on his heart that we hurt each other, but we're hurting because we're hurting. Yeah. And for the Christian, you know, Jesus commands us to forgive one another. Mercy, we can give that to others. I can let it spill off my table, which is covered with right. <laughs> mercy. Totally. And, yeah. and that's, I mean, it's even when you read his words, it's the Lord's in the Our Father. You know, we, we receive forgiveness because we forgive others. You know, like there's this deep connection. If we're not going to be forgiving, we're not going to be forgiven. And I think that's just because the heart locks up. If we choose to refrain from all mercy, yeah. if we choose to withhold, it doesn't soak in because we're not, we're not willing to receive grace, which leads to charity, right. which leads to mercy. Yeah. So it's, 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 uh, forgiveness is fundamental. Because we need God's forgiveness for salvation, we have to offer it to, to those who have yeah. hurt us. 
Yeah. And if, if God held against us, if he just held right. us in justice, we'd all be damned. And I make you whole right. again. And he asks us to look at each other in the same way. Easy to say, huh? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. But, you know, one thing I have that about confession, too, the greatness of it, um, just the habit of seeking forgiveness is so powerful. You know, I, I, I think that habit... Yeah. You know, God willing, would beat me oh, no. would beat me at the end of my life. You know, if I couldn't get the confession or something that I'm so used to, and it's uh, yeah, we can, yeah, we'll cut that out. But uh, um, so uh, you know, I I tell people as well, like with the resentment, you know, Jesus tells us to you know to pray for our enemies to do. Yeah, yeah. First off, we could pray or even take a step back. If you can't pray, ask for Yeah, it's great. That's, that's exactly the insight. <laughs> and then just to do something good, even if they don't know about to, it. Which is you know, the, just maybe it might be a good word break, about this. You know, we tend to be, you know, when we're in a state of unforgiveness or just being hurt and angry, we're, we're looking in on ourselves a lot. And we're agonized because someone has done something unfair and will do that to me. It becomes very introspective and sometimes infectiously so or dangerously so. Uh, forgiveness is the offering of mercy. We say in theology, in psychology, they're saying it's the offering of a gift, uh, which is the same thing. It can be elevated to the language of theology. But when we offer that gift to the person who hurt us, we break that tendency to turn in and, and kind of resent and get sick. We press it back outward and say, yeah, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push across my shoulders and I'm going to offer a gift, even to someone who doesn't deserve the gift because they hurt me. And that might be, as you say, a kind word, it might be a prayer. Mm -hmm. So it's, a lot of people find it's like it's writing a letter to the person that hurt them, whether or not they give it. There are cases where reconciliation with the person is dangerous, you know, like a, a spinship exactly as it was, but you can still offer forgiveness. That's a different thing. It fits within reconciliation. But sometimes it's writing a letter and expressing your whole heart and wishing good upon the other and opening your heart to a desire that they would flourish even though you're upset with them. And you may share that, you may not, but you're you're softening your heart toward them, which releases some of the power that anger has, the right. unhealthy passion of anger. Right. And I find, like, you know, there's the big stuff, and then, like, a lot of us, the day-to-day -day stuff, it's oftentimes that give us the respect we think we need, or they we feel slighted in some way. And, um, and it could almost be comical with... Yeah. Yeah, you know ourselves and how just we, how we yeah, just we make demands of each other for an know? absence, and and no and one can feel that. It's that's a space for the Lord, um, and so often I think a lot of those quick getting offended so quickly, uh, it's related to different wounds we've received, but it also is related to the fact that we're going to other people first and not to the Lord first to seek our identity, our worth, to to find out if I'm gone to the Lord first, who gave, He gives me my worth. Nobody else does, and, and I get confused because I can't see God. And I forget yeah. to go to the Lord first, and so I give too much power to my human relationships as though they're the the ultimate end. It's always going to make us sad to live that way. In your writing of your dissertation things, do you come or hear about any? And in particular, the testimony that people share, and we hear this, you know, from our people who come to see us one on one. But to try and keep it general, just the way that people will say, uh, it's almost like once they choose to forgive and go through the work uh, of no longer seeking vengeance, but, but offering a gift, mercy, 
it's almost like think color comes back into the landscape to believe the wrong things about themselves a bunch of lies and lies about the other and life has become very colored with red so to speak or black and white and anger uh, and they don't realize how heavy that is and they get sick from it like we said before yeah. but when they choose they're out of mercy and forgiveness uh, it's a lens and and they're able to like a number of people have said things like i have an easier time being kind of a stranger uh, or, or helping someone across the street mm. i'm quicker to do kind things and they they're able to say like i was chained before and there was a heaviness on my heart and a resentment that led me to a sort of entitlement that broke once i let go of this demand that anger was putting on me uh, and now i'm not carrying around this debt of obligation so that's not a specific, that's kind of a, to generalize from what I've heard uh, from a lot of different people and, and my own experience of just deciding not to demand, but yeah. rather to offer, to not put myself at the, yeah. at the center, but rather the other uh, through the lens of the Lord where the truth sets us free. Movies, by just showing beautiful things about. I remember this one movie I saw where the, you know, it was like a single mother raising a son, and you know, and she had she was hamstrung by character flaws and things. There's this wonderful scene in the movie where she messes something up for him again, um, and and he was able just to accept his his mother with all the weaknesses, you know, act of forgiveness. I mean, he's got to be mixed in there yeah. with challenge people and, you know, holding, you know, just encouraging people to do the right thing. But um, there, it just, the bottom line is we're going to have things in life we have to forgive, and we do that. Yeah. I mean, it's one yeah. of the, and, I mean, and it's when like, we don't have that, life is completely ungodlike. As you're just sharing that, for the mark, I was thinking about marriage and um, people that are 10, 20, 30, 40 years yes. in marriage, and, yeah. and they come and ask about how to forgive. And they'll, they'll explain, you know, uh, he did this, I can't forgive him, religious. People are trying to, trying to figure out why they're not quick to forgive. Um, but it's often because there's not yeah. like a habit yeah. in place of forgiveness. That there's often some deeper yeah. injuries, whether it be in the, in the marriage especially or in the community, um, that are old right. and, and significant. But they've led to a closing off uh, and a perpetuation of this anger so that all kinds of other things yeah. trigger it. You know, a little tiny, like, right. three seconds, and he's blowing up at her. Like, that's not a big deal. But there's a big deal behind it, you know, and there's this deep story. And so the journey into being godlike in our relationships, especially in ongoing, perpetual relationships like marriage, is really, like, looking at, if I'm finding myself in a place of anger or quick irritability, what's beneath that? Like, what are the original places where there's injury between us? And I have to figure out how to dig those up. And that's going to destroy a marriage or destroy a community, destroy a vocation. Um, very often the people that ask about this, the, the situations they can first think of are not the actual ones that need attention. There's something much deeper. And sometimes it's even deeper than just, you know, within the marriage itself. Often it's from our childhood. or you know, girlfriends, boyfriends in our teenage years that, that hurt us. And we still carry this, this yeah. anger and this wound that leads us to a, a quickness of irritability, right. a quickness of anger that's, that leads us right. to not be able to be forgiving. So we can't be godlike if that's all, if that's all piled up. Yeah. You know, I could see how this would appeal to the secular world too on one level that, you know, to be a success in life, to be able to apply yourself to work at something, to stick with something. I know the older I get, I just see, I see like murder, but 
I mean, they have certain virtues. They're not hamstrung by certain flaws in their character and stuff. That virtue helps you to be a success. And that, I know, that's what I see more frequency. Not that this guy is such a genius, but that he's able to apply himself. Now, but too, just like solid virtue, how that helps us to, yeah. to just in America, especially where we have opportunity, you know, to apply yourself. You're not like drinking scotch you know, over this wound. Yeah, you know? It's the fact that the emotions, the passions in Aquinas, can't be understood without the virtues and vice versa. Uh, and we have this, we tend to think, like emotions are really complicated, huh? And we tend to think like, I gotta get my emotions under control, or if they're degree. But Aquinas says the emotions are, we share them with the animals, but they participate in our reason. And so the way we experience uh, movements of emotion like desire, love, hate, anger, um, all are potentially rational. Uh, they can participate in reason and so they can all, every emotion, can propel us toward our, our end, our goal. And he says it's precisely the virtues that do that. The virtues own them and harmonize them toward the pursuit of this ultimate goal, which is, you know, God's glory and our salvation, communion with Him in heaven. And so it's a very hopeful way, like when someone is emotionally complicated in a, a life full of like very draining emotions, we look at virtue. We say, how, like, how are the virtues there? Because the virtues, perfect the emotions and so if there's not a life of virtue in place you're going to stay emotionally messy because the the the, the power that's given right. to you the, the the capacity that's given to you to be perfected in your emotions is not being home yeah. in aquinas as he says so you have the, the emotions are perfected by the virtues and then the holy yeah. spirit uh the gifts pour into the virtues and perfect mm. them so it goes emotions or passions virtues the gifts of the holy spirit and then he says something beautiful. He says that at that point, there, there are places we come and lap sure what to do. We don't know how to be. Um, and at that point, when we've received the gifts and they're soaking into the virtues and the virtues are perfecting the passions, then he says the instinctus spiritus sancti comes to our aid. And the, the typical translation is promptings of the Holy Spirit. Like when reason can't decide to do, the Spirit prompts us. But in pulsation, in the midst of our emotions, with the virtues working to bring them into harmony, the Spirit pulsates within us to press us toward what we can't conclude with reason, but which is the will of God. It's a very beautiful, harmonious way of seeing the human person. Yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah, you never... You never think of the psychology of St. Thomas. You think of him as this theologian, you know, but he's got this developed psychology. And I heard Conrad Barr push us to do, I mean, they're in themselves, I guess they're not good or evil, but to the degree we involve them, you know, and pushing us to do good, they're good. But they're given to us. Uh, yeah. I think, too, it could be like for a quick response Completely. to something. I think so. that's part of the richness of the That's it. I mean, that's, that's exactly what Aquinas says. Like, these yeah, are like part of the moral are, life. You know, our emotions, our emotions are part the spot of the moral there. life. And they, yeah. as appetites, yeah. they're moving yeah. toward goods or away from evils. And so yeah. they're helpful. I mean, they're sitting yeah. very easily. But they're of great service mm-hmm. to us. And you're right. Um, the, the feminine heart, the female brain even, better grasp of emotionality and the movement of these appetites than, than the male brain and male heart tend to have. Um, but the emotions are greatly at the service of our, our whole flourishing. Uh, Pink this all, and he says um, that the emotions, you know, making up an essential part of our moral life and our well-being, when harmonized correctly, um, by the virtues, they, we come to a place where we can actually trust in what he calls the spontaneity of love. Um, that we really, in, in a very virtuous person, they're really in place. We don't have to sit down and parse every single decision and, and make this very formal, difficult discernment and 
pull out a manual that says you can't do this, you have to do that. He says, rather, because of what the virtues have done and because of the, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we can trust yeah. our emotions. Once they're honed, you know, I can trust that because I've been living the, the habitus of grace. I've been living yeah. filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I don't have to fear my emotions and I can trust the way they're going to press me yeah. towards something yeah. that is spontaneous. And I'm so in communion with goodness through the virtues that I, I can trust the direction mm -hmm. that, that I'm being prompted. And there's a person like Mother Teresa. She lives spontaneity. She just ran out St. Francis of Assisi. You just jump into what's in front of you because you're living a good life. Yeah. And so you trust the way yeah. your, your inner core is pulsating, which is really the prompting yeah. of the spirit. Yeah, I think it's great self-knowledge to know when you can't trust that. Yeah, yeah it, and that takes yeah, practice. I think huh? it's great self-knowledge to know when you can't trust that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I know myself, I know my weakness here, and I can't follow this. You know, the impulse that comes up for me. You know, I remember driving, it was like in lots of traffic and no shoulder. There's a big ditch on the side of the road. And they had this young man, like older teenager, and he was walking against the traffic. There wasn't enough shoulder. And I was driving. I remember immediately just like, what the hell is going on? And it's like, you could just tell from his face. It was just like full of anguish and everything. And I, I said, I'm going to pull over in this parking lot a little further down the road and just see what's going on. And I'm thinking about this, and the, the car in front of me, I never forget, it was a VW Beetle, and then one of those new ones, just stops in this traffic, and this woman jumps out, you know? And she goes, this, uh, that just, that's like the basis of civilization, you know? <laughs> that, that impulse to help, and, and oftentimes women have such a good, um, you know, they're just attuned to the person and the needs and everything. And, and, yeah. and you know, the Catechism talks about the perfection. They're in harmony, like what you describe. And I know Dietrich von Hildebrand was big on that. You know, he said we. I think he would blame it. I don't know, yeah. but he's like a Protestant's kind of a Stoic kind of tradition of emotions bad. You know, but he was German, but grew up in Italy and had this big kind of big personality. You know. <laughs> I think Catholicism has a rich tradition. Of and that. we're giving, I mean, emotions are an essential part of us, right? It means that like, God created good. us with emotion. And the mind and the body come together, and it's a part of life. And because we know that Christ experienced everything yeah. but for sin, we know that he himself experienced all of the emotions yeah. without sin. So he knows, yeah. <clears throat> like when we're trying to figure out how to be better, like that woman, you know, in the street, and yeah. trying to live into a, a holy section. Christ has been through each yeah. of these emotional yeah. experiences, not the sin that comes from them or the sin that led to them, but he knows the emotion. And that means he redeemed the emotions also. Yeah. There's some great books written on yeah. uh, the passions in Christ and that yeah. all, of, all of the emotions have been mm. redeemed by the incarnation, death and resurrection. Christ knows my emotions and he redeemed them. Like, and so they participate in salvation if I let the virtues guide them toward, toward him. Right. Yeah. And I think that makes the faith so attractive. If people live it in a human way, if they could see a full humanity in a person that believes, because that's always the presentation and culture of our faith, is like this dead kind of, your slaves in a and uh, yeah. we can, I mean, when it's at all. Hollywood tries the, to the, the examples you're kind of naming are, kind of as you're pointing at these people now. who have jumped out and unity. Uh, that when we're, and you can go back to the Acts of the Apostles, and like the, the, the entire period after Christ's death mm -hmm. and resurrection, the, the fruitfulness came from being together. 
um, centered upon yeah. the scriptures and the breaking yeah. of the bread, uh, but then living this this call to charity that Paul names so well in his letters. And so where we're things, holy friendship is just uh, such a central key because we're, we're looking at each other and saying, you're not perfect and I'm not perfect, but you're way better than me at a bunch of things that I'm working on and I'm really moved by that. Instead of competing with you, I say, I want to emulate that and I want to yeah. learn from you how yeah. you're so good at helping that person that's right. annoying to me. The church is always, it's a corporate yeah. reality, a corporal reality. We've always come together uh, right. To, right. to move toward the Lord as a pilgrim church on yeah. earth. And, there's just this great, uh, yeah, yeah, this great hopefulness about not being divided, but being united in a singular right. pursuit. It's the origin of friendship in Aristotle is that we set our sights on something beyond us and strive together for excellence. Yeah, I, know, I, know, I, I was watching one of the yeah. documentaries. Yeah, and I know, you know, I, yeah, I keep talking about television movies, but I guess that is our culture, but... <laughs> I've ever it hit me. In the 70s, they were talking about television in the 70s. You know, and I grew up in the 70s, and they talked about the big sitcoms that were popular, and how it was like kind of big cultural events when this episode happened. They tackled this episode, and so people would be talking about it at the water cooler at work. You know, and it really kind of struck me to divide us. Like there's so many things on cable network. You know, we can all watch our own shows, or we can binge watch. You know, watch a whole season. Like in a couple weeks or something and this is our experience you know maybe I can't because we didn't we're even watching it at a different time I watched in the different series you know and it's just one more thing that we can't share on and and now we have phones you know it's like I don't, we're not even watching TV together we're watching individual phones you go to any night I tell people today I guess I've kind of come to the conclusion that anything that brings people together you know like anything good like any sports or any reason to meet, you know, yeah. I just like I couples call, come yeah. together to pray <coughs> together and just God is get love, together, huh? what is love you know, <laughs> and then friendships will happen, you know, together. if they and what are the <clears throat> biblical names of the evil one, the divider, so, the scatterer, the accuser, so if love's uniting, evil is separating, dividing, isolating, and so wherever we can yeah. point at a situation and say there's a unifying force yeah. there, that is good. You have to ask, like, what force is operating behind that? Because if it's isolating us, that's yeah. that's the work of evil. Yeah. And the devil's not going to show his face, right. you know, unless he needs to. But if he can very right. subtly divide us, isolate yeah. us, and then accuse us, right. then we're not experiencing right. community, love, communion, God, the pursuit toward eternity. Yeah. So I think that's a <clears throat> very important insight that we all kind of need to be wary right. of. I don't yeah. want to get on a soapbox, you know, ranting yeah. against technology. We all do that too much, maybe. But there is a fact that the way technology is the tendency yeah. of the work of evil yeah. to divide us. So where can we point in our lives and say, but here is where I'm sure there's communion. Yeah. And even as simple as you say, as a sporting event, is sitting around the table, uh, conversing a walk with yeah. someone else just to speak and not be on your phone. Those yeah. are all in the hand yeah. of God. Those are all potential yeah. tendencies yeah. in our hearts as well as in our families yeah. and our communities because good and evil are yeah. in play in everything. Where there's union, good union, there's love and God. Where there's not, mm -hmm. there's evil. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll, we'll close on this. I uh, just had a question. This always yeah. haunts me. How would you define habit? You know, we speak of sure, virtues as habit. The, right? the word and habit. I never English got that definition. A philosophy the class or whatever. That a habit it can be good or evil in itself, um, but a habitus is a little bit more, uh, it's like a good habit, but a habit that's, that's enabling further good activity. 
and is also orienting us toward um, an ultimate good. So the, the virtue habits that make further goodness possible and dispose us to ultimate goodness and help us to long for it. So there are particular types of good habits that effectively um, you need to talk about theologically. Like the virtue as a habitus is imbued with grace eventually, the, the pointing us toward God, toward heaven, toward charity. Um, and so it's a very rich, uh, if anybody listening on us is interested, go look up Habitus and yes. uh, like Romano Cesario or Cervez Pinker's yeah. beautiful yeah. things written on how a virtue is much yeah. more than a habit and it's directly connected to our being our very best and that can't be separated from salvation yeah. and from conformity to Jesus Christ who calls us to excellence. Curb yeah. that and cut off this idea of heaven. All such then we strive for human excellence, which eventually can divide like, us because it becomes yeah, competition yeah, yeah, and thus yeah. anger and hatred yeah. and, and division. I know for a while I was listening to some podcasts about you know productivity. I for a while I was listening to some podcasts about you know productivity, you know, and good habits and time management and all this. And I was surprised at like how kind of it was just kind of neutrally presented, and you could take a lot of it. You know, it's just good virtue. You know, it was one of this. And then I thought too, just how much our faith could speak into this world or capitalize on it, or um, you know, I mean, you can't stay there. That God will help you be a better worker. <laughs> but uh, but I could see. I was surprised at the openness I would hear with people that talk on the opportunity. Really yeah, I, I get really hopeful about that though, because um, what you're pointing at is, uh, as we move into a very so secular, even post-secular yeah. age, uh, yeah. doing this work in a secular way after faith, if you will, all the conclusions they're reaching yeah. <clears throat> are the same as the conclusions that the church has always held. You know, that virtue is a good thing. We're called to excellence. We're called to transcend. You know, limits. We're called to communion. Mm -hmm. Secular culture is beginning to recognize a lot of these as effectively universal goods, and we're seeing it pop up in blogs and books. And the hopeful future for us as, as theologians and priests yeah. and ministers and all those involved in the yeah. churches, we just have to speak into that and say, yeah, you know where you got that idea? become much more lively in its contribution to your goodness if you let prayer and grace seep through it yeah. because then it's going to be in its native environment and it can bear the fruit right. that it's meant to bear. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And just, just like in marriage, you know, getting married, staying married, <laughs> loving each other, how that helps one another. I mean, just like, you know, poverty and raising children that are well-adjusted and and just, and you know, we're not motivated by that stuff as much. Completely, you know, I think to use the word natural you know, faith, is very important. But, um, there's a natural I don't know, it's grace just a comes into that and gives it a, a higher yeah, end. But yeah. there is the natural law. I mean, the Lord's yeah. the divine intellect. We participate in that as reasoning human beings. Every person has a way of finding yeah. goodness. We as theologians have to lift them up in that and say, right. go to the furthest yeah. point. Go to go to the point yeah. of, of God Himself, and think about everything. And you're going to be more fully the person that is, yeah. is crying out within you right. than you're supposed to be. Just fully alive in Christ. I love it. I get all yeah. fired up about this stuff. It's just, there's so much yeah. richness to our, our theology. Yeah. We just have to help people tap into it. <laughs> is, it, is it beautiful and hopeful? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, was, I can't remember what I was listening to. I was listening to somebody being interviewed. They lived one of these kind of extreme lives. I was thinking, what do you just... And even 
whatever. I mean, even some bad stuff. And so I was just thinking, wouldn't you rather just get married and, and those you know, are have the, a family? Like those types <laughs> of sports you love. <laughs> you know, I mean, how much can you stay in the kind of experience world, the travel world? <laughs> you just have to you know, be that, deeply uh, aware of Earth anyway. once their bodies are no longer capable, you know, or they lose the energy to do it. And like, we have to have a little bit of foresight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. Right. Well, Mark, good to be with you. Right, right. Moral theology and wrote on the virtues. Well, thank you so much, Father, for chatting with us.